Welcome to the Cybersecurity Readiness Podcast Series with Dr. Dave Chatterjee. Dr. Chatterjee is the author of Cybersecurity Readiness, a holistic and high-performance approach. He has been studying cybersecurity for over a decade, authored and edited scholarly papers, delivered talks, conducted webinars, consulted with companies, and served on a cybersecurity SWAT team with chief information security officers. Dr. Chatterjee is an associate professor of management information systems at the Terry College of Business, the University of Georgia, and visiting professor at Duke University's Pratt School of Engineering. Hello, everyone. I'm delighted to welcome you to this episode of the Cybersecurity Readiness Podcast Series. Today, I'll be talking with Dixon Wright, Vice President, Product Management of Coalfire. Coalfire is a cybersecurity solutions provider, and Dixon leads product efforts for Coalfire's compliance management and automation platform. He is responsible for product vision and execution, go-to-market activities, and product revenue. Dixon mentions in his professional profile that he is on a mission to make security compliance easier through software and automation. And so I felt that he was the perfect guest for our discussion on information security compliance. Dixon, welcome. Thanks for taking time to share your thoughts and perspectives with listeners. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me. Excited to be here and chat about something that I am passionate about. Yeah, let's talk about your passion. What gets you passionate about information security compliance? <laughs> yeah, it, I, mean, I guess, you know, it's as someone who kind of came up through the ranks of IT audit, um, started my career uh, in the big four at KPMG, um, and I've had some several steps along the way uh, to get to coal fire, but, um, you know, thinking about how historically, like everything is extremely manual, it's extremely labor intensive, lots of narrative writing, um, when the essence is trying to, you know, really dissect whether or not technical things are implemented correctly and then weighing an opinion against that. So it's just like, you know, one of my old colleagues said it best. He's like, we hire really expensive. Uh, technical people and 60, 70% of their job is um, being a technical writer, right? So, so both from a business stance, as well as, you know, I think from a security stance, like that's probably not the best allocation of resources. Um, so I think, you know, our, again, our, our vision and mission is really to make that easier from our customer side, but also, you know, use that to enable the business as well. Very cool. Very cool. So, so uh, you know, for the benefit of the listeners, provide an overview of security compliance and the current state of affairs. Yeah, it's it's a great, it's just a very very broad topic. I'll try to do do it to the best of my ability, but I think I think security compliance like starts with um, third party trust. So when we think about you know why it exists. Um, kind of, I would say the foundation, the genesis of compliance was, hey, like we want to do business with our businesses. Like we need to determine whether or not they're doing the things we need them to do. 
And I think a lot of this even started financially with some of the Sarbanes-Oxley, um, like IT controls for when you outsource particular pieces of your, your process internally. Um, so specifically something that, you know, I've been an expert in for a while is SOC, SOC reporting. And um, the, you know, basically what happened is, is like all these, you know, all of these companies wanted to go in and like audit their vendors. And um, so basically there was, uh, you know, things changed and they developed this kind of, okay, well actually let's create a standard um, so that third-party organizations can go in and do their own assessments and then provide a report that can then be distributed across to, to all of those customers so that, you, you know, it's uh, do once, provide many versus having these like one-to-one -one audits per customer that you have. Um, and I think that's, you know, that has expanded, you know, very greatly over the last, like, it was, we'll call it 10 years because all of these different kind of industries and sectors have created their own types of standards that now all these organizations have to comply with. And I think more recently, we've seen a, a large amount of like jurisdictional specific standards pop up. So if you want to go and do business inside of Germany, German organizations may now require you to follow some type of German standard, same in India, same in Japan. So when you think about these large uh, technology SaaS providers, they have, um, you know, so many things that they have to comply with, but it, it all comes back. I think it, you know, at its core is like the, the point is to be able to, to, to show trust, um, the way in which trust is executed or, um, uh, is, um, implemented or evidenced is just now becoming vastly different depending on who you do business with and where you do business. Um, so, you know, the larger the company, the more things you have to do, obviously the, you know, it gets exponentially more and more complicated, um, to be able to satisfy that. Very true. Talking about getting things complicated, as you mentioned, industries have their own standards, such as PCI DSS for the payment card industry. Then there are various laws and regulations, such as HIPAA, GDPR, CCPA, CPA, and more. There are also a whole bunch of frameworks, such as NIST, ISO 27001, Center for Internet Security Controls, and more. So one of the challenges I see organizations grappling with is to make sure they are in compliance of all they need to be in compliance of. In other words, just trying to stay on top of all these different regulatory and compliance requirements can be an extremely challenging proposition. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think there's, there's, there's a challenge getting compliant. And then there's there's certainly maybe an even even more challenge of actually like maintaining it, um, and then it's just like, you know, does the are you really any better off, right? I mean, I think is also what you have to ask, right? It's just like, yeah, like I, I'm compliant, um, and certainly there's some benefits, and you know, but I think, um, but it, you know, it's, I think there's there's all these other challenges of dilution of kind of the types of people that are doing the assessments 
Um, there's different types of quality in the third parties. Um, so, you know, one report from one particular third party, like we'll call it auditor assessor is not necessarily equivalent to another that's also accredited, right? So, um, so I, I think it comes back, if you, co if you come back to trust, it's just like, at what point um, will we start to go beyond some of these point in time, like pieces of paper, right? That kind of prove compliance to um, these organizations or when do organizations no longer trust the piece of paper? And I think we're seeing that now, like a lot of our customers like have to do it. It's contractually, they're, they're contractually obligated or they're trying to go do business with the federal government uh, as an example and have to be federant compliant. But I think a lot of these like commercial, like SOC 2 and ISO 27001, um, it really is, it's kind of table stakes, like you have to have it. And then there's still a very vicious kind of vendor uh, review process that you know, whether you, you still may have to do a questionnaire, you still may have to provide, you know, scanning reports or pen test reports. Um, so, you know, it's just like all this work for, to basically have a conversation and then you still have to, you know, prove out your security beyond that. Yeah, I can totally see that. And that can be frustrating. What concerns me is organizations finding ways of somehow meeting the compliance requirements to be eligible, to be able to compete for a certain contract. In other words, organizations can be motivated to adopt the check the box approach. So how do you ensure that this check the box mentality or behavior is not encouraged? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I mean, I, I think, there's a couple of different factors and I'm obviously biased um, coming from like the third party world. Um, you know, I, I think it's, you know, did, did they use a, a reputable third party? Um, is that, you know, I think specifically in the realm of cybersecurity, right? Is that, is that third party known for really understanding and being kind of a technical type of company? Like, or are they an audit firm? <laughs> Right, like mm -hmm. you know, I, I, we 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 kind of we can talk about that a lot, right? Like a lot of audit firms do a lot of these things, and some of them are really good, right? Um, there's others that aren't, like they're you know they their their resources are predominantly like they're, they're not very technical. Um, so I, I think you know being able to evaluate what that third party is doing, um, and then again, I mean, I think that. I do believe that you know some of the compliance reports and some of the standardization of it are are really good, um, but I I don't think like that's where it should stop. Like I think you you know there's additional kind of tech tech technical due diligence that should be done, um, and quite frankly, I mean I think that's becoming common, right? I think the the companies that take security really seriously and take third party secure third party vendor security very seriously, you know. Like I had one customer, um, Silicon Valley, publicly traded customer now, and they, they basically would just send over kind of open-ended kind of technical questions. And um, they, uh, it, it's very easy to, to detect like when someone is, you know, is full of it, right? And they don't really know what they're talking about. So I think just even things, simple things such as that can really make you question whether or not like the, the, the party on the other end, right? that's going to hold your data, like actually knows what they're doing and has their hands around it. 
Um, so, so again, I, I mean, I think other companies take it different places and I, you know, that it likely should be a risk-based, um, kind of decision, right? Like what, what is being stored? What is being, what are they handling for you? Is it critical? Is it not? Um, and then, you know, make, make decisions on the rigor that you want to put on. Cause I mean, you can't, it's, it's impossible, especially with the kind of intertwined cloud services, the cloud service use that's you know, rampant today's society, like to go and, you know, really do deep, deep technical um, reviews of every single company, right? It's just not scalable. So, um, so, you know, having these kind of, kind of ways to really early detect whether or not this is a vendor you want to do business with or, or not, I think is, um, is kind of a, a good approach that I've seen some of our customers take. That's good to know. In fact, I'd like to pick up on something you said, you talked about yeah, I think you 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 are alluding to oversight that you can have a compliance team in place, um, you know, ensuring that the organization is in compliant of the relevant regulations, but there also needs to be oversight to ensure that the organization is going beyond the check the box approach. The approach is substantive, that you know, when let's say our compliance requirement is to have us certain type of security training, making sure that, that the training is really personalized, customized, um, and there is a follow-up, there is assessment, there is repetition. So I'm just using training as an example um, to make the difference between what could be somehow get it done, hire a vendor company, and they offer you an out-of-the-box training uh, curriculum, let's say. And that is, that is okay, but the organization needs to customize it because every organization has unique needs, has unique roles that people perform. So that's where I feel that this discussion on compliance needs to be coupled with the, the discussion on governance mechanisms, measures, which ensure that you know, the tools that are being used to assess compliance, to ensure compliance are being uh, leveraged effectively and essentially people are doing the right thing. Your thoughts, your reactions? Yeah, I mean, I think when, like, it, you know, I think without a, a layer of governance um, and a strategy for like what you want to accomplish out of some of these compliance you know, frameworks, like it, it I think in, in many cases, it becomes like, like compliance is just sales, right? You're just doing it so that you can sell to other companies. It's not actually used as a mechanism to secure things internally on, in the long run, right? Like, will it help? Probably like there's, you know, implementing controls and versus not having them is probably effective. But I think until there's like this kind of top-down approach of like, hey, like this is you know, we, we obviously have to do this, but here's how we're going to like take this seriously. Like um, kind of the same customer I was mentioning earlier, uh, they they handle um, they handle a lot of payments, right? And so mm -hmm. payments, you know, sec payment security is extremely important to their business. Um, and they have to take it seriously, right? Like maybe that's the nature of this, the company that they run, but I, you know, it's like security is embedded into like every layer of their organization, right? Developers are responsible for security, um, you know, and so like that's part of the culture that they establish. And and by and 
and you know, funny enough, like a lot of a lot of the compliance stuff is for them, it's an outcome. It's not something that they like have to do. Um, and so, you know, they they take security very seriously. Um, then they get audited, and as a nature of taking security very seriously, like generally their their audits are extremely clean and um, very successful. Um, so again, I think that that type of approach that we've seen is um, is super effective, and I, I think it really starts with um, that governance level, or at least like you know leadership being completely bought in onto what that what that means. Very true. Uh, in fact, yesterday I was uh, talking with a CISO. And he mentioned, he said, uh, you know, compliance is expected, but compliance by itself, it's not good enough when it comes to establishing a strong cybersecurity posture. So I'm interested in getting your perspective on what does it take to create a robust cybersecurity compliance program? In other words, if you could highlight some of the key elements of a robust compliance program. Yeah, for, from a compliance perspective, I'm, I'm speaking specifically to a compliance, not necessarily um, like overall like security, right? But I, so I think for, for to have an, an effective compliance program is really to think about, you know, what is, like what is that kind of like, you know, continuum of like maturity, right? So for us, like what we see is you've got, you know, you got this new organization, they're doing compliance and they're largely like doing it in a manual fashion, right? Like they're kind of, they got a couple of people, they run around chasing people down, um, trying to, again, say like kind of checking the boxes, right? It's not proactive, it's reactive. Um, audit season is typically extremely stressful and you really have like your, you know, your fingers crossed that you've done all that you need to do. Right. Um, you know, you'd be surprised at the size of companies that we deal with where it's like, oops, like forgot to do a quarter, quarterly vulnerability scan. Right. <laughs> Not good guys. Right. Um, that's going to be a problem. You know, here's, here's what we're going to have to do. So. Um, so I, I think that's kind of what, where I would say, like, you know, you get the, the most like immature companies and there's probably even a spectrum of that immaturity um, where it's like, you know, that's expected for a startup, right? That's not expected for a publicly traded company, right? So, um, so that lack of investment and, you know, not taking that stuff overly seriously, or at least just being thoughtful about it, I think is kind of at the very kind of beginning. And then you get into you know, what we call like coordinated, which is you understand all you need to accomplish. You think about how you build, you know, solid workflows to make that happen. Um, you minimize the amount of like auditors that you deal with, like we call it kind of coordinated assessments, right? So you choose, you know, vendors that can um, eliminate audit fatigue throughout your organization. Um, and you, you really try to like, you know, then I guess another feature of this would be centralizing, you know, compliance across like business units, right? So if you have, if you're kind of a conglomerate and you have 30 different business units, um, you know, and you, uh, if every single business unit kind of does their own thing, like that's, that's not very mature, but having some type of coordinated effort and a centralized group that helps manage some of those things, those are 
some ways that we see people kind of continue down this like maturity uh, cycle. Um, and then I think you, you start to get into this, this kind of realm of, of automation, right? So I would say like the next big bucket is, okay, you know, what am I, am I using really good tooling to automate like the workflows? Um, you know, I have a way to have this like centralized place where all those things are happening. Um, I'm using very few type of assessors. Um, and I don't have like, you know, 10 different kind of audit opinions being spun at me. Um, and then I think that kind of the next two places are really around, you know, kind of further automating a lot of the technical components that you, you can do, which I think is very, it's, it's, it's a very new kind of concept in general. Um, and I think the adoption of that will be slower for enterprise companies, but, um, you know, I, I think that's going to continue, like, how do I start to do things and like report on those things in an automated fashion versus having humans do it. And then I think at the end of that spectrum is just like, okay, how do we get to this place of real continuous monitoring for the large majority of our kind of control environment? If 60, 70% of our controls are kind of technical in nature, you know, how do we, um, you know, pull that information out and visualize it more in real time versus waiting for internal control assessments or annual, you know, annual assessments from our auditors to really determine the overall effectiveness of that. So I think like, to me, like that's, that's where we're headed in terms of the future of trust is, um, you know, that customers start to actually share real-time insights into actually what's actually happening versus like people distributing, you know, PDF reports of compliance status. And I, you know, I think there's been some really large organizations that, that have talked publicly about it. Um, one of them is Equifax, like right now they have some type of program so for their customers, they share out, you know, dashboards of some of their cloud environments and what the status of those controls are. So I think stuff like that is going to become way more, um, the adoption of that is going to become much higher. And I think as a result, you know, it's going to, it will establish more trust and can be a differentiator for these, those types of companies that, that do, they go, you know, the extra mile. That's really good to hear. Because um, I couldn't agree with you more at the importance of continuous monitoring and the extent to which we can use technology not only to automate the process, but also to direct the alerts to the appropriate folks and make sure that the alerts are being received and acted upon. I'm very, I'm very passionate about um, you know, while organizations have monitoring mechanisms where they tend to um, fall behind is, you know, often good intelligence goes unrecognized. Uh, good intelligence is ignored, it's not responded to. And I wish we can have appropriate tools that reduces the possibility of that happening. So based on what I'm hearing from you, that is a very encouraging news. So going back to automation, compliance, and I know that your organization has developed a platform to provide those services. When an organization is considering investing in such tools and capabilities, what guidance or what recommendations would you have for them? 
Yeah, I mean, I, th I think it, I think it really comes down to like what 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 are your organization's like biggest pain points, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, so I mean, we see kind of the full full spectrum of like what that is for for organizations. We see organizations on different parts of that like maturity cycle, um, and it's different for everybody. And I, you know, I think for us, kind of a large majority of our customer base are typically bigger customers, and so the problems are, are more complicated, right? So um, they have many different business units, many different applications. They may have, you know, applications that are uh, federal in nature and have to go through FedRAMP. They may have that same application in the commercial environment, which is governed by four different kind of commercial standards. Um, so it gets like really messy really quick. So, so I think it's one, it's just like really understanding um, that you, you know, that you need help um, and that spreadsheets aren't doing it for you and spreadsheets and email. And then two, you know, if, if that's not doing it for you, right, what is, what are kind of the core pieces of your workflow and how do you start to like chip away at it? Um, you know, so for us, like, you know, we think like the first kind of step that you need to solve is, do you understand all the things that you need to do and who needs to do them? And at what time do they need to do them so that you kind of get your hands around the, what, what is the compliance problem at your, at your organization, right? And then the next piece of that is like, okay, well, how do we then start to automate more and more of this activity? And then how do we get to this like continuous state of um, continuous compliance and, con you know, um, continuous monitoring and, you know, mm -hmm. continuous visualization of what's going on. So, you know, I, I think what we see right now, um, there's like the marketplace is kind of, it's, it's really wild. Um, and this it, it's a new category like it's not even um it's not even something that you know is on a, a quadrant within like uh, gartner forester um it's really spun up in the last like two years so you've got um you know all of these different types of organizations popping up and they're they're finding a lot of product market fit i think specifically in the lower lower end of the market for these like startups because again these startups need to need to uh, show compliance to uh, sign contracts, right? Um, so, I, so I think there's some really good things that have happened in the disruption or kind of the creative destruction that's happened with it in terms of what it's doing to, you know, the 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 audit assurance space. I think is extremely healthy, um, but I think it's it's also has a tendency to, hey, we're just going to hack compliance. Right, which gets us back to the old ways of checking boxes. Right, it's like now mm -hmm. you're just doing it in an automated mm -hmm. fashion with a, mm -hmm. a SaaS tool. So, I, so I think you know, we've seen kind of various things, and we're trying to be intentional about how we how we how we you know make compliance easier. But we also realize that it's just still extremely hard, and and it's still very valuable to people's business. Right, if like you do business with the federal government, you have to be federal and compliant, and it's got seven figure implications. Right, if you come out of compliance. Um, that can't be hacked, right? Um, so, you know, I think mean, just making sure that those tools like are going to fit your needs and kind of your use case, um, making sure that you you kind of think about it with the goals of the company, right? Like going and hacking SOC 2 early on, like maybe what you need, right? But if you've got to start to expand on these other things and let's say FedRAMP's on your roadmap, um, you know, maybe it's not. Um, so do you have a tool that can grow with you and kind of accomplish the things that you need to do? Um, and then, you know, I, I think the other thing too is just like, 
who, who is, you know, all, these tools make a lot of claims, a lot of which that, you know, I think we as a company at Cold Hearted Deck disagree with. There's certain pieces of compliance that can't be automated, right? So large claims like 70% of PCI can be automated. Um, I, I find that to be, I find that hard to believe. Um, and then I think, you know, along with that, right, it's, can I support multiple business units and have like the same visibility as like that, that I have with one? Um, and then to what extent does it, you know, uh, connect into my technology stack? So another thing that we've seen in the marketplace is like, these tools are great for cloud services. Um, they're great for like infrastructure as a service providers. So they connect into Amazon and GCP and some of those um, in Azure. What they don't do is they don't, they don't do anything at the operating system level, right? Which is really hard. And I think it's a problem that still needs to be solved. But like, so yeah, like you may be automating certain components, let's say for uh, identity and access management and like who has access and um, who has administrative access, right? Like you can go and kind of pull and test some of those things. Um, but you're not, you're not doing that at an operating system level, right? So when we do, when we look and evaluate security, we got to evaluate the, the actual application itself, the underlying operating systems, and then the underlying infrastructure. So it's like you're covering kind of one third of the technology stack, not not two, not all three. Um, so again, it's like I think that comes with, you know, these are product companies, not security companies. Again, I think it's super healthy for like what they're doing and how they're pushing the industry to evolve and to get out of paper. But I think at the same time, there's still a, a level of maturity that, that we, we have to kind of establish. Um, and it'll be interesting, I think, you know, uh, to see like what type of governance is applied to like even those types of tools, right? Like, yeah, you can go and do your, your own kind of like SOC 2 report, your own ISO 27000 report. But, you know, like I don't, I'm not sure like that's the type of assurance that we need. We need better assurance that you know, what is being automated is legitimate. Um, that, the, you know, the green, the green uh, Harvey balls that show up green are actually green. Um, and the red's actually red. And, you know, making sure that, um, you know, what, it, like, what, it, what we are reporting, what we are automating, and, you know, where we see some of the auditors consuming these tools and kind of, and still checking boxes, right? Like, just making sure that there's some due diligence that's done. Um, or we're going to get in a situation where like there there's like no trust because it's all you know a bunch of garbage so um so yeah it's a real fascinating subject again tons of money being thrown at it right now and um we're uh just trying to kind of kind of wade through it all and be thoughtful about how we're building it and what our customers need um but there's certainly some some really great technology out there that i think can can certainly make a big difference and allow organizations to scale without having to, you know, hire, um, you know, armies of people to just manage compliance, which is something, you know, it's a kind of common occurrence that we see for very, very large organizations. Yeah, very true. You know, when I when I think about this in the big scheme of things, and obviously from a cybersecurity perspective, where an organization is trying to stay as secure as possible and be proactive in their approach. One of the goals of compliance would be to ensure that all the relevant controls are in place and they are doing what they're supposed to do. Um, but as you pointed out, 
Um, these tools can't be um, left to themselves in the sense you have to do your own due diligence to make sure the tools do what they promise to do. Um, in other words, you can't become slaves of the tool. Uh, the organization has to have its own governance team by whatever name they are called, maybe the compliance team, to review the relevant tools, recognize the shortcomings, um, document the shortcomings, and also document how they plan to address the shortcomings. This way, there is greater transparency that, yes, we have this tool which is going to help us um, enforce controls, but we also recognize that there are areas where we may, ha may have to you know, use other approaches. So, yeah. so, so we are coming back to taking a very holistic approach to compliance management as opposed to a tool-driven approach where we are basically relying on what the vendor tells us and we are just going with it, which I don't believe any, any really right-thinking company would do, but I think it's good to you know, caution them about it. So I appreciate yeah. that, that insight. Um, what else do you think listeners could benefit from learning about uh, compliance management from an information security standpoint or anything else that you think is pertinent to this discussion that we haven't talked about yet? Yeah, I mean, I think we've, we've covered, covered quite a bit. Um, you know, I, I think, again, I, I think we, we kind of talked a lot about how compliance is challenging. Again, I, I think there there's certainly benefits of compliance. I think there's benefits of, you know, industry standards. Um, like I've always been, you know, a huge fan of you know, how the, how the PCI council is handled, like the PCI standards in the sense that, you know, I, I think what is common is like, you know, if you go talk to a hundred, hundred customers, and, and ask about how they do risk management. Everybody does it differently. Uh -huh. um, some of them do it very incorrectly. Um, some of them do it really well, right? And there's a lot of in between. So, so I think like, you know, their stance, stance historically is just like, oh, well, we don't, we don't have a lot of trust that organizations know how to do risk management and then apply the necessary controls to address all the risks that face, you know, payment security. So he's like, we're going to kind of do that for you, right? And tell you there's the 300 things that you need to do to be secure. And if you don't do it, you need to tell us like what else you're doing and what they call a compensating control worksheet. So I, I think those types of approaches, I think are super healthy um, in many cases, especially as you think about the different types of maturity levels of organizations that need to be PCI compliant. Um, but then, you know, at the, at the same time, it really hurts organizations in some cases that take security very seriously and have been very thoughtful about compensating, like how they compensate for not having something in place because they don't need to because the way their, their systems are architected or the, a different piece of technology that they have in the back end that solves that problem slightly different. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's, it's all about you know, I, I think it's just like we learn something new every day and a new standard is released every day. And, um, you know, I think the, the more that, you know, the, the I, I think, you know, as been as all the scares last year with some of the third party stuff that happened and breaches, and I think the rigor that will now be placed on vendor management 
I, I just think it's going to be really interesting kind of how it all plays out, how, you know, what does trust look like in three years? What does it look in five years? What does it look like in 10 years? Um, and can we keep up, right, with the pace of all these new regulations? Like, can people really afford to do it? Or, it, you know, at what point does it become such a nuisance, right, that organizations just, like, can't support it any longer? It's too expensive. Um, so I, I think, you know, we've got to be careful around, how, like, what we adopt and why we adopt it. Um, or else, you know, I think it, it can be a detriment to, like, moving forward to, you know, for funding that should be, you know, spent more on actual security or um, other parts that kind of enable the business. So, um, so certainly I think a lot of, a lot of things to watch out for is, you know, in the coming years, um, as I think we're going to continue to see more, more of the same. And then there'll be some, there'll be some additional, you know, type of disruption that happens. And, um, but hard to see, you know, through all the, all the smoke in terms of what that's kind of ultimately going to look like. Yep. Yep. Um, very interesting. In fact, uh, the phrase that comes to mind while you were talking about trust is trust, but verify, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we can have all the tools in the world, but we can't become slaves to automation. Tools can do only so much. Um, they, they have to be backed by good governance mechanisms, highly trained personnel, robust oversight. So it has to be a multi-pronged approach, um, even when it comes to effective compliance. While compliance is one aspect of security governance, it can become a very effective aspect. Once again, if there is a real intent, there's a real commitment behind it as opposed to trying to outsource it and saying, okay, we have this vendor who can take, take care of this for us. We have their platform, we have their tool, and we can look the other way. I don't think that works. And I think you spoke to that, that there has to be oversight, there has to be uh, ownership, and that's when the process will go better because it's a evolving landscape, it's a moving target, and conscientious organizations security concerned organizations um, must take very deliberate, thoughtful steps. Well, um, Dixon, uh, this has been a real pleasure. Thank you very much for your time. And um, let's conclude with a few final words if you have any for the listeners. Yeah, appreciate you, appreciate you having me on. Um, it's uh, been, been fun to talk shop about this stuff. I can geek out about it all day, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I think for those listening and, you know, there's a, I would say there's a huge opportunity for folks that, you know, have interest in kind of getting in the security realm of, you know, following some type of like GRC path as an entry point. Like there's not a lot of experience that's required. Generally, you know, you don't even need a college degree in some cases, right? There's a lot of security certifications out there uh, while I'm not very, very big on those, right? Like go and pursue cloud certifications versus security certifications. But um, but yeah, great entry path into the security world. Um, and then you can kind of pivot to where you want to go, but you get a lot of exposure to a lot of different companies and a lot of different kind of security measures. And so it's a great primer for folks wanting to join and not having a big kind of hurdle to get there. Um, 
So um, we're always looking for, for great people. So uh, you can go, go look us up. Fantastic. 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 Yep. The opportunities are out there for people who are interested, who are passionate, who are curious, who want to make a difference. So, um, so yeah, sounds great. Well, thank you again. It has been a pleasure. Thanks. A special thanks to Dixon Wright for his time and insights. If you like what you heard, please leave the podcast a rating and share it with your network. Also, subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. Thank you for listening and I'll see you in the next episode. The information contained in this podcast is for general guidance only. The discussants assume no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained in this podcast is provided on an as-is basis with no guarantee of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. The opinions and recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of the discussants and not of any organization.